It's great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. And you can follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. Coming up in today's Clark Rage, a new report on why annuities to me are a four-letter word. I'm going to give you more evidence that when somebody tries to sell you an annuity, you need to run away. And later, you being able to do store pickups and returns is going to get a lot easier. I'm going to tell you about things happening to make that work so much better for you. Do you remember when there was an issue where based on at certain e-commerce sites, when you were shopping, that based on whether the website knew you were shopping from an Apple or shopping from a Windows computer, that the price of an item would be different based on which computer you were using because they know that Apple customers are not as price sensitive as people who use Windows computers. And there was a lot of fuss about that and strategies you could use to defeat that, and on and on. Well, now, according to Chris McGinnis, who is a brilliant travel writer, the nation's airlines now are looking at software that will be able to offer you airfares based on them knowing how price sensitive you are. And generally, the three full fare airlines, American United and Delta, with the new technology, are going to be able to give higher airfares to their most loyal travelers. Did you hear what I said? They're going to be able to give higher airfares to their most loyal travelers. It's taking a page from the playbook of the auto and homeowners insurance industry where they have learned that people that are really hyper loyal to an airline, maybe have their airline credit card, maybe are really into earning miles on an airline, will pay more money for a ticket than someone who doesn't have that brand loyalty. And the technology now exists for airlines to quote discriminatory fares where the fares are higher if you're judged to be loyal and lower if you're judged to be disloyal. This is just like what I've talked about with um, the satellite companies, DirecTV and Dish Network, that they give much lower prices to a new customer than they do to an existing one. Because loyalty is punished in modern American business, not rewarded. So how would an airline traveler avoid this? First, don't do your search for a flight and fare at an airline's own website. Except with Southwest, you have to go to their site because they don't go on any other databases. But your airfare search should start at a third-party site. The best of them is google.com slash flights. google.com slash flights. But if you do prefer to do your searching 
at an airline's own website, do not sign into your frequent flyer account when you're doing a search for a flight. And search incognito. You know how with um, a browsing, you have private browsing session or incognito browsing session. Each of the browsers have those privacy settings. Do an airfare search where the airline doesn't know who you are at all. They won't have access to any cookies where they'll track back to you, anything like that. Because this is absolutely coming because the airlines know, I mean, it's not sinister. It's not evil. They know that if you are very loyal to them, you will pay them more for the same seat than I will, who is only loyal to price. Hugh is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Hugh. Hello, Clark. An honor to speak to you, sir. Well, it's great to have you here, and you are a police detective, and and I'm so glad you've taken time out of your day to talk about something that your fellow listeners should know. Yes, sir. Um, received an email from my IT department. Well, it looked like it was from my IT department, and uh, it ended up, of course, being a fish or, you know, somebody fishing for uh, to, for me to change all my passwords. It looks like on my Google account. And it, the request came from my organization, but it wasn't obviously from my organization. So I just wanted to let your listeners know that it appears that they have an ability now to send an email from any organization, making it look more legitimate. Now, do you have a sense that that they had somehow tapped in to your organization's email, or do you think they were masking sending sending it from another source, but making it appear as if it was from your organization? That that is possible. The um quotation did come from you know it at my organization so it it uh but the masking is is possible again looking at a quick glance for sure it's uh it's definitely apparent that that uh, it was somebody trying to uh get my attention making it look official that's now the kind of scam you're talking about is very popular with criminals right now and where they've had enormous success, you're not going to believe this, Hugh, they have been able to impersonate the CEOs of organizations and send uh, wire transfer instructions to the accounting department at the same organization and have money wired out thinking they're doing what the big boss wants and they're sending money outside the country to criminal enterprises, criminal rings. Well, in the interest of full disclosure, I have to tell you, I, I, I don't use my uh, professional email address for this, but I do often make myself a, a deliberate target for scammers, more or less as a hobby, uh, for a few reasons. I uh, like to take up their time, and I definitely like to take their money if I can get them to send me overnight you know, packages or fake checks, fraudulent checks, stuff like that. Then I can notify the bank of the... Uh, of the fraud. So I do somewhat like to play with them and take up their time, but this one was, you know, obviously no, not time related. It was just uh, more of a, 
got the uh, got the uh, Clark uh, cowbell uh, uh, alarm going off in my ear as soon as I got it. So I had to wanted you to know. Well, let's see. So that would be. This one. That's what you wanted, right? <laughs> That's exactly what I wanted to hear. <laughs> well, glad to provide that to you. And in short, the the warning in many different ways is when you receive what appears to be an internal communication from your place of work, and they're asking you to disclose um, personal information of any kind, or asking you to follow instructions that would that would hit money of the organization you got to verify before you follow any of the instructions in those emails. Sure, absolutely. I do have one request for you. I'm ready. Um, if you could simply add a, a small segment in, in your show that uh, warns people of, of not just scams, obviously, by phone or Internet, but actual person-to-person um, you know, uh, scam. I had a, taken a report where... Somebody just simply asked someone to borrow their cell phone, common enough, person looked respectable, and they ended up uh, putting a, essence, a, a crypto lock on it using a, you know, an, an app. So these things can happen also person to person, not just uh, you know, via email or, or You mean call. doing something nice for a stranger led to a terrible problem for that individual? No good deed goes unpunished. Oh. Well, thank you for that, and I appreciate so much you being out there to take on the bad guys, because it's great to know you're the cop on the beat doing that, Hugh. Elaine is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Elaine. Hi, hi. Elaine, you're looking to help your granddaughter. What's going on with her? I have a 25-year-old granddaughter who is now working, and she wants to... Um, take a or, or to a, obtain <clears throat> a first credit card. She's not had a credit card, and she's asking for advice as to um, the kind of credit card and the um, uh, stipulations that she should look for in that in getting that card. So, getting a first card is not easy. Because she does, she have any prior credit history that you know of, like student loans. Not that loans I know or, of. Not that I am aware of. So if you have no credit record at all, very very hard. And so there's a best path I can recommend, and then I'm going to offer a family path too. So the best path, if she's got to do this all on her own, is to go join a credit union that offers what's known as a fresh start program. Okay. And they don't all use the term fresh start. They may have their own name for it, but they'll know what that means. That's where they help someone who either has had a history with bad credit, reestablish good credit, okay. or help someone who's never had credit establish their first credit. Okay. And, and so, is, is that um, obtainable only through a credit union? I'm not aware of any banks doing fresh start programs. That's okay. something historically that has been an offering of credit unions. And not every credit union offers mm-hmm. fresh start type programs, but it's uh, at least a majority of them do so. Okay. Now, the other alternative is you could add your granddaughter as an authorized user on one of your accounts. 
but not give her physical possession of the card. Don't even give her the number. And that will help her establish a credit record, you know, a good credit history Mm -hmm. to draw on moving forward for applying for cards regularly. Okay, so that means the only thing that would um, show up would be what I have done with that card? Yes. Okay. So you have to have good credit yourself. Oh, yes. But if you have good credit, you just add her as an authorized user. You'll need her social security number to do so. Okay. And then in about six months, she should have, based on your good payment history, she should have enough information there with a good payment record that not every credit card you have will report authorized users to the credit bureau, but it's common they do. Okay. And she should set up something. Have you ever heard me talk about credit karma? Oh, yes. Uh-huh. So she should set up a credit karma dashboard. And okay. she'll be able to track what's going on with her credit standing from you having added her as an authorized user. Okay. Okay. So the book answer is she should go to the credit union and do the fresh start. Uh-huh. But if you want to give her an extra family push... Okay. You make her the authorized user, but in no uncertain terms, don't give her the card. All right. Perfect. Oh, that's so helpful. Thank you. Well, I'm so glad I was able to be of service, Elaine, and I hope you have a great day. Today's Clark Rages moment is about an investment product that I don't look at it as an investment at all. I look at it as just junk. Scams. Rip-offs. Outrages. It's a Clark Regis moment. There's something that I despise. In fact, I call it a four-letter word. Annuities. Annuities are something that are peddled to the unsuspecting individuals looking for a way to invest that supposedly feels safe. But annuities are generally an atrocious idea Because they have massive, ginormous commissions, huge ongoing fees, bad tax treatment under the tax code, and have something else often known as surrender charges, where if you realize, oops, I really got taken here, you have to pay massive penalties to the insurance company to get out of the trash they sold you in the first place. Well, you may or may not be aware that there has been an ongoing debate about something known as the fiduciary rule. It requires people who are selling, uh, who are helping people with investments for retirement to meet what's known as a fiduciary standard, which means they must do what is in your best interest. Well, that fiduciary rule is kind of in suspended animation right now, but a number of firms, once it it was established that this rule was coming changed the way they do business and required that the people that work for them be fiduciaries well according to a report in market watch the sale of variable annuities which is a horrible piece of trash are down by 22 percent 22 percent in just a single year because once people had to provide investments that were in your best interests no way they could sell you a variable annuity 
because the funny thing is variable annuities which used to be peddled in huge numbers have worse tax treatment than a regular investment worse investment results than other normal investments because of the massive fees and commissions whenever a salesperson is trying to sell you an annuity know the dangers but also I've noticed something with a lot of the solicitations by people offering you free dinners and stuff that I know are selling annuities. They don't use the word annuity in their sales literature anymore because more and more people are aware of it. You get at the point where somebody's putting a contract in front of your face, you say that word annuity, you run away. Run! The stores fight back. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't anyone ever rip you off. And you can follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. I told you back during Christmas about Walmart, nation's largest retailer, rolling out an app, uh, rolling out a feature on the Walmart app where you now can do your own returns instead of standing in a forever line at a return desk. And this is just one of the initiatives by retailers to improve the experience. Zara, which is the hugely successful clothing retailer from Spain, manufacturer and retailer, one area that Zara has never excelled at is in checkouts customer service and returns and this is really key because zara is implementing now an uh clicks to brick strategy where people order zara clothing online and if you're not in the demo age demo as a woman for zara i'm sorry i'm going to tell how they're doing it because it influences what everybody else does so you order online then you don't have to worry they don't have something you would desire in the right size or color or whatever and you then go to a Zara to pick it up well that's where the breakdown has come because when you order something online you don't want to wait in a forever line to pick it up so this is wild but The Wall Street Journal Europe reports that Zara has developed a robot that when you go in, you tell it your um, unique order number, and the robot goes and gets your item for you and brings it to you. They're uh, adding it store by store as they work out the bugs, but click and collect is one of the ways that retailers in the United States are competing with traditional sellers and with online sellers where you're able to implement both strategies. Home Depot has done extremely well with uh, clicks to bricks where a huge percent of Home Depot's online orders, people instead of having them delivered to their home, they pick up at a Home Depot. And I have used that service over the years, and it's gotten better and better because at first it was such an afterthought 
that you go in and they were pretty clueless about how you would pick up your merchandise. But now they have it together and there's a special area in the store you go to and you walk up to and you pick up your HomeDepot.com order and in stores that have got the formula right, you walk in and you're back out very quickly. But this is one of the things you're going to see steadily improve is pickups, returns, and all the rest because as we expect a higher standard now from being able to do e-commerce there are many situations where doing something with a physical store involved in the transaction at some point through the process can be a negative or a positive depending on how a store handles it and more and more the stores are going to use technology to get it done i mentioned the walmart app for delivery walmart is also rolling out a robotic technology when you order something on walmart.com for store pickup where you go to this giant kiosk it looks like it's about 20 feet tall and it's like a, a warehouse an electronic warehouse they put right in the front of the store you punch in your order number and your item comes right to you comes down kind of like a conveyor a compartment opens up, you grab your item, and you're done. Scott is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Scott. Hey, Clark. How's it going? Great. Thank you, Scott. How can I be of service? I have. Uh, I work for an employer that offers a employee stock purchase plan, and I've been listening to your show since about 2008, and I know that you're you're not 100% on them. Um but my employer gives us an additional 20% on that, uh, on that figure. So I didn't know if you'd still say that's too many eggs in one basket. As long as you are doing the rest of your saving away from the ESOP, where the money is widely diversified, like in index funds or target retirement funds or stuff like that, then I'm okay with you doing the ESOP because with the employer throwing 20% into the game, the advantage to you, the upside advantage, is so good. It would be like, um, you know, I've always said owning an individual employer stock is like going to a casino and playing the roulette wheel. Yep. But this would be like going to the casino and you start out 20% ahead of the house. And so I would say that that as long as you were doing other things for financial security in your life besides the ESOP, it's worth doing because of the 20% bonus. Great. What else do you do besides the ESOP? So I've maxed out my 401k and Roth. You, you are a max saver. Good for you, Scott. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. And what kind of choices are you in? In the employer provided 401k and then your own personal Roth? Um, it's through Vanguard. So okay. the target retirement fund is about 50%. And then I've mixed up through what my employer offers after that. Okay. So as long as you're doing well diversified, no company stock in that 401k, then do the ESOP because look at you. You're saving so much money for your future and 
you have the ESOP. What a deal. Yeah. And when does the ESOP unlock? Does it unlock at the point that you leave the company or retire, or are there windows where you're allowed to cash out some of the stock? As far as I'm aware, I'm able to cash it out at any time. Normally not, normally not at any time, but there'd be a holding period you wouldn't want to mess with that would hurt you tax-wise. Okay. But yeah, if you've got a chance to get instant 20% return on your money, grab that, especially with how you are, uh, you're way past Dean's list with how you're handling saving for your retirement. Everything you told me, Scott, top drawer, fantastic for creating financial independence for yourself. Pat is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Pat. Hi, Clark. Uh, my husband and I are great friends of yours. Well, I'm glad for that. You're helping your daughter now, I guess. What's going on with her? Yep. So um, we took your advice, and all three of us froze our credit when the Experian uh, thing happened. And um, you mean you mean Equifax? Equifax. Yes. <laughs> Give credit and, where credit is due for messing up. Um, so now she's looking for a job and they did a, um, background check on her and then all of a sudden you don't have the job and no reason why, but, um, someone told her that freezing your credit gives you a bad background check. And so I wanted to find out if that was true. Well, they have to, an employer has to ask your permission to check your credit. They did that. Yeah. And if they do so, then she is going to have to thaw her credit temporarily while they're doing that uh, credit check background thing. Now, they should have, when they did the background check, it should have come back that there was a credit freeze and that she needed to do a thaw. So they should have asked her for that. Right. So that's... I'm not sure that that's the reason she didn't get the job, but... We were worried that that was problem could be a problem. All right. Well, I'll tell you, the larger an employer, the less careful they are with how they do these things, and they have so many applicants at large employers that any hiccup along the way, they just eliminate people. Yeah, and this was a large employer, so. So I have a piece of advice for your daughter. All right. The job satisfaction and the mobility in a career are almost always much higher with smaller companies than they are with the behemoths Mm. so just a thought for her as she's looking for her career job great thanks okay have a great day pat and i'm sorry that that this may have been a problem for her doing the credit freeze in this case thank you thank you and Philip is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Philip. Hey, how are you, Clark? Great, thank you, Philip. I have a question about uh, if it is a good idea about pulling out life insurance on your children. Um, basically, I've had I've heard different things is great, yes, but the thought of having to, I guess, more or less bury your children or just a death, it just makes it more and more, I guess, trauma. But uh, I want to know if the, if the investment is there, if it's right. Wow. So what a what a terrible thought to think about right. having a minor child pass away. I mean, it yeah. happens. Uh, thank goodness. I do have some actual real wood here 
in the studio. It's very rare. But usually you don't buy life insurance on a child because children are not income earners. Okay. You know, children, as much as we love them, they're they're a cost center, not an income producer. Right. And the principal reason and purpose of having life insurance is to replace loss of income in the event that uh, an income earner passes away. Or in the case of a couple, uh, if one works and the other works in the home, as an example, you would want to have life insurance on both. Because if there's minor children, there's a need for insurance on each because even if the one who's not working outside the home passes away, there's a cost to taking care of the children that didn't exist before. Okay. But for kids, kids, there's not replacement of income as an issue. So then you bring up the fear of, in addition to the fear of losing a child, the cost of dealing with a funeral and burial or cremation for a child. And that, that's what people have told me. Uh, it's it helps with cost and stuff like that. But, I, again, you don't want to think about that. But uh, another thing that people have told me that pro to doing that is possible almost like even though you're not, I mean, you're pulling out life insurance on the kids, they can actually pull it out. Like, you can keep adding to it, adding to it, adding to it. Uh, let's just say after they're 18 or a certain age, they can pull it out and possibly almost like an um I guess a savings account at the same time. It's a true? very, very costly way to do a savings account. Okay, okay. Because insurance policies come with massive commissions built into them mm-hmm. and ongoing high expense structures that make it an inefficient way for you to have the combo of uh, what they refer to as death insurance and a savings account. In other words, a whole life insurance policy. Gotcha. So I, I don't advise that. I don't recommend that. As for uh, the first very difficult thought of losing a child and how would you pay for their, uh, for their funeral, burial, cremation, it is, it is a tough thing if there's no money and savings available. And that's why I talk about for anyone, the funeral and memorial societies that can cut the cost of a funeral and burial by 75% and a funeral and cremation by 50% that are in a way like their own insurance policies. Mm-hmm. When you buy a family membership to one of these funeral and memorial societies that typically cost $25, 30 $50 for a lifetime for a family. Gotcha. gotcha, gotcha and you gotcha. can see about those at funerals.org. Okay. But well, uh, but I don't yeah. advise the life insurance on a child. Do you have enough life insurance on yourself? I do. I think I'm in like the hundred twenty thousand dollar range or so uh, is what they I, I'm, I'm into right now between work and uh, something else. I think my my wife pulled out on me. Okay, that may not be enough. What kind of income do you have per year? Well, I, uh, I'm approximately ninety four thousand. You don't have nearly enough life insurance. So I would like for you, I'm so glad you called to ask about the kids, because now I got to talk about what you really need. (laughs) You need what's known as a level term insurance policy on your life. Level term insurance. With the income you have, you want to have a total of a million dollars in life insurance. 
Gotcha. And you buy a level term policy for 10 to 30 years, typically 10, 15, 20, or 30 years, depending on you know how old your kids are, how much time is left in your key working years, mm-hmm. and these policies are very cheap to buy, and you can now get quotes on them right over the internet instantly, and with some insurers, buy them instantly without a medical exam. Awesome. And at Clark.com, I have information about how to buy a term life insurance policy and where you should go for quotes. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time for Ask Clark. That's where you post a question for me at Clark.com. Producer Joel ask it for you who's up joel clark chad's up and says i remember a show you did a while ago about getting your child around 12 years old started in investing you started with a thousand dollars and you said it can be a huge help for them later in life i couldn't write it down what were you referring to all right so with a a child preteen or teen especially valuable if they're working part-time or full-time 12 year old if they're working they're doing yard work or babysitting or whatever if you have earned income which may in fact not come along till a little older in the teenage years but you're able to put money in a what's known as a custodial roth ira take a thousand dollars you pop it in a custodial roth and put it in something really simple like a target retirement fund is a simple choice with any of the low-cost companies I have on my investment guide, that money will grow so many times over for a teenager, let's say with a 50-year window, that $1,000 today becomes a meaningful chunk of money they need for retirement down the road. So the magic is time works for a teenager, in your case a preteen, to the point that it just creates this potential for this great amount of wealth. The beauty of it being in a child's Roth is then it's not going to hurt them in any way if your child goes to college for financial aid. So again, go look at my investment guide and with your 12-year-old you may want to wait just long enough that that 12-year-old is doing some work and that money goes into the Roth IRA. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for tuning in to The Clark Howard Show today. And if you're like me, you like deals, well, we got our deal diggers hard at work at ClarkDeals.com that help you save money day in and day out. We work around the clock to find the best deals for your wallet. And they're on a variety of consumer items. Check out 
flarkdeals.com. 